You know, the NFL draft was uh, this, this past weekend, right? It started on Thursday. Um, and I always love the NFL draft. I'm a huge NFL fan. Um, and, you know, the first round of the draft, it takes like till midnight, right? For 32 teams to pick, the draft starts at like 8, 8.15, and it was over around midnight. And then once you get past, you know, rounds one and two and three, and you get all the way up to round seven, right, the, the, the picks start coming a lot quicker in round six. And, you know, I'm, I am a big football fan. My, my team has no name right now, um, so I am a fan of the team from Washington. Um, don't say that too loudly, but now that I have a platform, I shout it. Um, so I'm a huge Washington fan. And I can remember, you know, I haven't been to too many Washington games growing up, but I have been to a few, and I've been to, to good ones. If you know anything about the NFL, um, I've been to a Washington-Dallas game in Washington where they clinched the playoffs in 07. And then I was at a game where they played the Philadelphia Eagles in Washington, and Michael Vick went off on Monday Night Football. Like, I'm, I'm talking about it, was, it wasn't close. It, it, it was like 50-7 to seven at halftime, and it was, it, was, it was awful as a Washington fan. But it was even worse if you were an Eagles fan because I can distinctly remember, not just at the Eagles game, but also at the Cowboys game. I was much younger at the, the Cowboys game. This guy got beat up in the bathroom for, you know, there's alcohol and rivalries involved. And when those two things are mixed, you know, fists get thrown. And they did. But I remember at this Eagles game, we were getting back on the bus, me and a buddy, going back to our hotel. And the Eagles fan that had gotten on the bus pregame, you know, he's wearing all his stuff. And Eagles fans are like, man, they, they are hardcore, right? They love their Eagles. Well, when he got on the bus after the game, man, his shirt was ripped. It was all, he was cussing the state and the city and the team and us on the bus. It was the craziest thing ever. And I realized, holy cow, there are people that care about football a lot more than I do. Because this guy was either running his mouth to the wrong fans. I don't know what he was doing, but no joke, he got on the bus, him and his girlfriend, I'll never forget it. And his shirt was all ripped. He was, he was so furious that he had just gotten beaten up after his team killed Washington. And I share that because today as we continue our study through the book of Ephesians, looking at this idea of already and not yet, right? We are navigating life as Jesus followers this side of heaven. That yes, has Jesus given us life? Has he given us joy? Has he given us kindness? Has he given us all those things? Yes. But what do we do when life is still hard? We look at our world and it's a mess. We look at our family and we might think it's a mess. We look at our job and it's a mess. And everything around us seems to be crumbling. Yet, Jesus, you promise that we have life. So what does it look like if life here on earth actually looks like hell and, and not heaven? And so today, as we continue, we were looking at the beginning parts of Ephesians chapter 2 last week, where, where Paul, the apostle who wrote Ephesians, we know about 30 years after Jesus had died and resurrected, he was writing to the Ephesian believers that, hey, it is not your merit that you have earned this grace, right? He's writing that you were dead in your trespasses. You're not just sick. You're not just broken. You're not just bad. Paul says you are dead because of your sins. And then in verse 4, we would see the richness of God's mercy and that he would save us, not because of what we've done or that we're so awesome, but because he loves us so much that God would send his son. That Paul says it is a gift of salvation, right? No strings attached, gift that you have been saved. So don't brag about it because you didn't do anything to earn it. And now we get into verses 11 and following. And as we talk through this idea of navigating the culture, I believe this is one of the biggest topics that the early church had to navigate through, and that is the topic of unity. You see, Paul was a Jewish man. 
And before he was saved and followed Jesus, he was a man that was zealous for the church. In fact, he approved the first Christian martyrdom. Paul was all about this this religious zeal, right? As a Jewish man, he knew the law. He knew the scriptures. He did not know Jesus, but he knew the religion very well. And now he's writing to a bunch of Gentile believers. And Gentile just means you're not Jewish. It was a pagan culture. And the church is brand new. And for the first time ever, people who are not Jews are being invited and are accepting the covenant with the Almighty God. And the people of this culture had to navigate that. Because, man, within this culture, there was so much hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. Throughout the New Testament, we see this, right? We can go to other letters of Paul and see that there were people called the Judaizers. That Paul called them the Judaizers. would come into these Gentile churches and say, hey, you're preaching Jesus, you're proclaiming Jesus, but you know what you really actually need to do? Follow the law and be circumcised. And they're navigating this. What does it mean? Is Jesus enough? I'm a Gentile. I'm not a Jew. People look at me as a dog. Dog is what they would call the Gentiles. Even the Apostle Peter, who followed Jesus himself, right, he struggled with this. When they're beginning the early church, right, and Jesus tells Peter, on this rock I will build my church. Peter was one of the the founding members of the church that we know today. Even he had issues with this and had racism. Let's not mistake it for what what it is. Racism in his heart towards the Gentiles. He had an issue with what do we do that the Spirit is falling on Gentile believers? And God reminded him in a dream. And he deemed all foods clean. And after that, Peter knew this is no longer a Jewish person thing. And praise God, because you and I in here are Gentiles. We are not Jewish people. We are not Israelites. We are Gentiles that have been saved. And the question becomes for all the early church, how are these men and women grafted in? What do we do with them? And just a side note, we we praise God that unity is his idea, not ours. And we know this, right? Because humans don't need to be taught division. I mean, look at a middle school lunch table. And we know that, like, we're not even meaning to, but we find our group and we stick to our group, right? I mean, it, it, it's funny. We're, we're six weeks into Citizens Church, and I can almost tell you where everybody's going to sit. We don't need to be taught division. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Find your seat. We're glad that you found your seat. But we don't have to be taught division, right, from the middle school lunch table to churches. I mean, let's just be honest, guys. Up the street, we're going to have a church of of, of hundreds of people that don't look anything like us. And I look around the room, and we all look the same. And I'm not going to get into the early history of why that is, but let's just call it for what it is. The elephant in the room is we do not need to be taught division. It comes naturally. Unity is not our idea. Division is. For good, bad, different, whatever the reason is, division is our idea. But unity is God's idea. Unity is a God-given gift, and it is the mandate of heaven. And that is what we are dealing with today as we continue to look at the book of Ephesians. And honestly, I've been very, very excited about this passage because this passage is the heartbeat of Citizens Church. When we looked at what do we want our church to be about, it is Ephesians 2, 11 through 20. So let's look at it. This is what Paul writes, starting in verse 11. So then, right, so then remember, because he just just dropped a gospel bomb that said you were dead and now you're alive. So then, remember at one time, you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised 
by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. And so we have to deal with what Paul is, is talking about here, circumcision versus uncircumcision. The, the, the circumcised, we're calling you the uncircumcised. And really to get a picture of this, I got a picture of it up here. I'm just kidding. Y'all thought I'd have a picture up here. Yeah. Circumcision was the physical sign of the covenant, right? We could go back to the Old Testament and see that God told Moses, look, all the men that have not been circumcised yet, take them and circumcise them. And I know that it might be crude and you're like, what are we talking about here, circumcision this early in the morning? But it was a physical sign of the covenant and something that the Jewish people could point to our Gentile brothers and sisters now and say, you are unclean. And as silly and as crude as that might be, it was a physical sign that we could look at. And the Jewish people could say, you are not part of us. You were dirty, you were dogs, you were unclean. Andrew Hopper over at Mercy Hill, when talking about this passage, notices this, that the Jews had not taken bad things, but good things given by God to make outcasts of the Gentiles. You see, circumcision was God's idea for his people to say, hey, I am making a covenant with you that I am your God and you are my people. Do this. However, many years after this command, the Jews had taken not a bad thing, but a good thing to outcast the Gentiles. And the question is, do we ever do this? And maybe not with circumcision anymore, but are you better than your neighbor because you're pulling out of your driveway on Sunday morning to go to church and they're not? Are you better than the people at Citizens Church? Because you know what? That girl's been coming for a while, and she ain't serving yet, and I'm serving every week. I mean, I'm giving. Are they giving? I mean, I don't just give 10%. I give, I give more than 10%. If, if other people would start giving. We can take good gifts and use them in no way that God intended them to be used. And this is our first point before we go any further, that be careful that good gifts of God do not become tools of division. Be careful, and I have to say this to my own heart, that we are not the ones judging the outsiders, but we are judging the people of this church, because you know what, where have they been the last two weeks? <laughs> Their kids got sports, are you kidding me? We judge people with good gifts, such as church attendance, or serving, or giving, things that God has given us, and given us the ability to do, and we look at our brothers and sisters, not even outsiders, brothers and sisters, and we use these things as tools of division. And Paul is setting the stage right here as we continue to go that, look, at one time, this is what you were called. You were without Christ. You were excluded from the citizenship. You were foreigners to the covenant of promise. God of, of, of Israel, Yahweh, the Lord that we celebrate and worship today, was not in their vocabulary. They were outside of God. And yet Paul reminds them of this as we pick it back up in verse 13. So they were outside. But then Paul says this. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus, is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh. He made no effect the law consisting of the commands and expressed in regulations. So that 
he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both God in one body through the cross, by which he put hostility and division to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. So however you got here, you were proclaimed peace to you. For through him we have both access in one spirit and the Father. Before we go any further, not only can good uh, tools from God become division, but because of the gospel, there is unity and they don't have to be. What is it? It's the gospel message that those who are far off and those who are near have been proclaimed peace. And so Paul is saying, look, Gentiles, this is brand new. My people have been following Yahweh for thousands of years, and this church has been grasping and trying to figure out what this looks like to be the church for only 30 years. And Paul is saying, look, those who were far away and those who were super near, you all have heard the gospel. Because of the gospel, there is unity, and not just vertical unity, but horizontal unity with God the Father. Are you today in union with God? Are you still far off? Or have you, like the prodigal son, come home? And have you received the grace and the kindness that only Jesus can offer? How are we brought near? Verse 13 tells us the blood of Christ. How is there reconciliation? Verse 16 tells us the cross of Christ. Paul is clear. It is because of the gospel that there is unity within the church and unity within your own hearts. And we hear cross and we think of tattoo, right? A necklace. We see it as a symbol of hope and we see it as a symbol that, that, that God used to bring us life. But within this culture, think about what Paul is saying here. You have come by the blood of a man that maybe some of your friends and coworkers knew 30 years ago. You were coming by the physical blood of a man who died on a physical cross. And crucifixion within this culture was not a sign of hope. It was a sign of what it is, death. That many times crosses would be reused. I mean, crucifixions were, were everywhere within the ancient Near East. The Assyrians created crucifixion, and the Romans just perfected it. And so the Roman government would crucify people. That was not specific to Jesus. We know that the apostle Peter was crucified. We know that other men and women were crucified, and it was a public display of come against the Roman government, and this is what will happen to you. You see, Jesus didn't die on a cross that was just his. How many men and women were executed on the cross that Jesus was killed on? All the blood, all the urine, all the feces, all the spit, all the whatever comes out of your body, it's on the cross and they're being reused. Crucifixion was not a picture of hope in this century. It was a picture of come and die, and that is exactly what Paul is saying. Come and die. Come and die in the same way that Jesus died for you. Come and die so that you may be brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, the book of Hebrews would tell us we are not brought by by the blood of bulls and goats because that blood doesn't satisfy we are brought near and we have unity because of the blood of the only Christ. Only Jesus Christ could take our place. The one man in which Acts tells us there is no other name under heaven in which we must be saved. Acts 4.12 is crystal clear. There is only one Christ. Only one man could take that spot on that cross to save us. And Paul is saying that is how you were brought near. How is our reconciliation? The cross of Christ. How are we brought near? The blood of Christ. These believers here cross and recognize that people all around them are still being crucified. And Paul gives them this invitation. Come and die. 
come and give up of yourself. Gentiles, you are no longer out of it. You are in it. Come and die. Come and find peace. And unity with others, it starts with God, but unity with God, and this is the beautiful part about it, unity with God makes unity with others possible. You see, Paul has to start with, look, why are you brought in? Not because the Jews included you. They didn't. God included you. And now because you have unity with the Father, you have unity with one another. And this is because we all came the same way, right? I'll never forget that, um, once again, I'm an NFL fan, but I'm also just a sports fan in general. I was at a, a few summers ago, I was at the Braves game. Uh, me and a few buddies were going to see the Atlanta Braves, and it happened to be, I think it was 2015, the Atlanta Hawks happened to be in the Eastern Conference Finals facing LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so we were at the Braves game, and we were just looking that morning on Craigslist of like, hey, I wonder if we could get like Eastern Conference Finals tickets, because that would, that would be awesome. I've never been to the Eastern Conference Finals. The Hornets are awful. They're never going to get there. So let's go see the Hawks play. And so we found some tickets on Craigslist, and uh, they were a steal. I'm, I'm telling you, they were like $500 tickets for like 150 bucks. And at the time, we were like, man, this is just a great deal. This guy wants to be very generous. So we buy three tickets. We get to the gate, the game that night, they won't scan. And <laughs> so we go one by one, and the last guy's like, well, we'll try this ticket. And it's like, well, the first two didn't work, so the third's not working. So they, they, you know, they were like, well, just go to the ticket booth. So we go to the ticket booth, and <laughs> the guy that was, you know, sitting there, he grabs our tickets. He's like, well, I can tell these are fake. Like, well, you work with tickets every day, okay? Like, sorry, we didn't know. They, they looked legit. And you know what he did? He sent us on our way. He was like, sorry, these are fake. Enjoy the rest of your evening. No, we didn't do that. He gave us the same tickets, the real tickets. He gave them to us. And we were eight rows from the court. Like, I could touch Stephen A. Smith if I wanted to, right? Like, we were eight rows from the court, and we watched the Hawks get annihilated by LeBron James and the Cleveland. Maybe it's just me, because anytime I go to a sporting event, the team that I'm rooting for gets killed. Um, but they were fake. I'm serious. Fake tickets, $500 each. We're talking about Eastern Conference Finals, eight rows from the court. We were like almost mid-court, but to the left of it a little bit. And this guy says, you know what? We've had a lot of issues with scalpers and fake tickets, so just go enjoy the game. And I have so many pictures on my phone of like, man, seeing LeBron James, and like the, the man is like huge. You think he's big on TV, see him in person. Like I have so many pictures because it was so amazing that we literally got into this game by what? The grace of the ticket man. I mean, why didn't he just send us away? He doesn't know us. Grace of the ticket man, amen? Why didn't he just send us away? I mean, how many thousands of people are at that game? He doesn't know us. Honestly, we're the idiots that bought fake tickets, thinking like, oh, they're $500 seats. Why is this man selling them for 150 bucks? I don't know. Like, he could have looked at us and been like, get out of my face. Like, I got a job to do. But instead, he gave us the tickets, and it was pure grace that we got in. And for those of us in here who are in Christ, the same is true for you. Let's just be honest. We are idiots. Like, I do some, Adam Pickard does some dumb stuff that I'm like, holy cow, why does God love me? You mean God is taking a man like me and is saying, you know what? I should just send you away. Because of your sin, 
Because you are dead in your trespasses, Adam. You're dead. But in the same sort of grace, Jesus takes us in. And now those of us who are in Christ Jesus, no one in here can say, I deserve to be in. Because just like the Hawks game, I did nothing to get in. In fact, I had a fake ticket that said, no, you can't come in. And in the same way, you and I had sin and struggles and issues and were dead. And if we were to come before an almighty God, he should look at us and say, I'm sorry, you're dead, you can't come in. But Paul is reminding us here that it's because of the grace of the blood that was dripped from Jesus' body, because of the cross of reconciliation, you and I get in, it is pure grace, and at the foot of the cross, the ground is level. If you're a follower of Jesus in here, you got in no other way than I did. You trusted in Christ to bring your dead heart alive. Because of this, there is unity. It's by no other means but Jesus Christ. And guys, if you are new to the faith, or you maybe don't have a relationship with Jesus, and you're just new to this whole thing, the worst thing that you could do is try to climb the ladder of religion and think, if I can just be at Citizens enough, if I can just give, if I can just serve every week, if I can just do these things, then maybe this hole within me that says there has to be more will be filled. And, and, and here's the bad news. It never will be. The things that you were trying to do outside of Jesus, even the good things, right? The good things can come bad things really quickly. And nothing satisfies like Jesus does. We just sang about it. There is nothing like your love. We're saying Jesus is better than all of it. And we are coming in because of the grace of Jesus, not because of stuff we have done, but because what he has done, and that is the good news of the gospel, right? That Jesus takes you as you are. He says, come in. Come in and fellowship with me. And then we reach the climax of this passage and the climax of this unity. And here's the good news, right? The bad news is that Gentiles, you were at one time outside, and now you've been brought in. Because of that, here's what Paul says. Look back at verse 19. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. You are no longer foreigners, strangers, exiles, outsiders. You are now, because of the blood of Christ, Paul is crystal clear, you are now citizens being built in the house of God. What does that mean? It means that you belong here if you are in Christ Jesus. I do not walk around as a citizen of America thinking, when will I be arrested because I don't belong here? I remember being in Guatemala where we uh, had passports stolen, and so we had to go to the U.S. Embassy. And we didn't walk into the U.S. Embassy. I mean, we're in Guatemala, but we didn't walk into the U.S. Embassy thinking, man, are we allowed to be here? No, we were like, oh, well, we're American citizens, so let's just bust up in this. You know, that's, that's what we did. There was no thought, oh gosh, are they going to accept us? What? I, like, I, I swear I'm American. No. You are an American citizen, so come into the embassy. 
And in fact, when you stand in the embassy, you are in America. Like this is what, we, like, this is what it counts for. And in the same way, Paul is saying you are no longer outside, outsiders and exiles. If you are citizens of the household of God, act like it. You belong here. You have access here. You're not bothering God with your prayers. He invited you in. Why would he cast you out? And if he did not call you when you were high, why would he now forsake you when you were low? He's not here to forsake you. You are citizens. You are in. That's been our theme this entire book study. You are in. So what do we do with it? The door is wide open for anyone to come in and know the Jesus of the Bible. Do you need belonging? Jesus offers that. Nothing else does. In the kingdom of God, there is belonging because you are no longer a foreigner. But God will say, you know what? You are a citizen. And if you are a citizen, then you belong here. Paul's going to take this a step further as we jump into Ephesians 3. And the first six verses says this. Look at it with me. For this reason, because you are no longer foreigners and exiles, but because you are citizens. For this reason, I, Paul, and he's going to double down here on what he is saying, crystal clear. The prisoner of Christ Jesus on the behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you have heard about the administration of God's grace that he gave me for you, the mystery, right? The mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have briefly written above. By reading this, Gentiles, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And don't miss this. This is, this is everything that Paul's talking about in verse 6. Is there any questioning? Is there any blurriness? Are the Gentiles in? This is what Paul says in verse 6. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul goes from problem to proclamation. The problem is that Gentiles, one time, you were outside of the covenant. The proclamation is that, hey, no longer you are. With assurance, Paul says, you are in. You are in. Like, you are in the family. And here's what we have to realize. Did they ever stop being Gentiles? No. That's the beauty of all of this. That those men and women who shouted, you must be circumcised to be in this, Paul's like, no, 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 you don't. No, you don't. It all comes down to Jesus. The Gentiles were not made Jews when they accepted the God of Israel. And why? And this is our sermon in a sentence. This is the main takeaway from this passage. That gospel unity is oneness, not sameness. Gospel unity is oneness, not sameness. We do not all look the same. We do not all act the same. We do not all vote the same. And yet there is unity. Why? Because of Jesus. I mean, think about the men that Jesus called to follow him. One man is a tax collector, works for the government. Another man is zealous to take down the government, and they are in the same body traveling together with Jesus. I mean, honestly, it's like let's take a never Trump, and let's take a Trump supporter and put them in the same room, shut the door, and say let's, let's figure this out together. The disciples would not have been Facebook friends. And yet God himself comes in flesh and calls different men. For, he even calls the guy that's going to betray him. Jesus did not come to this world and say, okay, I'm looking for a middle-aged Jewish fisherman. 35, about yay high. Um, okay, there's 12 of them. All right, we'll take y'all. 
No, he travels. He finds that fisherman. And then they travel, and they're like, okay, I got a fisherman who hates the government. You work for the government. Okay, you're in. And he calls Matthew. Gospel unity is oneness, not saneness. You see, God was not after a narrative. He was after a movement. God was looking for a movement that was going to change the world. And if we are still living in this movement, then we need black, we need Asian, we need African, we need Latino, we need white, we need all of us. We need liberals, I hate that term. We need conservatives. We need independent. We need everybody to come into this and say, you know what, we don't have a lot in common, but we do have Jesus in common, and that is enough. What are we doing? What are we doing? I don't want a church that looks like me, talks like me, votes like me, has the same philosophy on money and, and, and child raising and all that stuff. I don't want that. Jesus isn't after that. If he was after a narrative, everybody would look the same. But he said, if he's after a movement, then the gospel goes to all nations. And the gospel includes everybody. Gospel unity is oneness, not sameness. He is not calling us to be the same. And in the same way, if you do not know Jesus in here, you might be thinking, well, I have to uproot my entire life if I come to know Christ. No, you don't. If you get saved at Citizens Church, you're going to go work your same job on Monday morning. You're going to have your same friends. You're going to have your same family. You're probably even going to have some of the same struggles that you had before Christ. And Jesus is not saying, look, why are you not perfect now? He's saying, go and be part of this movement. We need you. To reach your family, to reach your coworkers, to reach your campus. Citizens Church will reach people that the church at the street never will, and they will reach people that we never will. Only God can do that. Because he's not after a narrative. He's not after this is what it should look like. He's after a movement that takes many different people, many tribes, many nations, many tongues. And at the end of the day, Revelation tells us that's who will gather around the throne. If we're not pursuing unity here, you're going to hate heaven. Only the gospel can do that. The gospel makes it possible for us to be unified. The gospel makes it possible for at the foot of the cross us to be established as sinners that need life and actually can get life. If you were in Christ Jesus, you came in the same way that I did. And if you were not in Christ Jesus, you're going to come in the same way that I did. Jesus is plan A. Jesus is plan A, and there is no plan B, that Jesus himself would come as God and man to this earth, live our life, and for 33 years proclaim the good news of the kingdom, only to die as a threat to the system on a cross, be buried, and then three days later resurrect over your dead heart, over my dead sins, all the things that keep us down, Jesus resurrected over that, and that is the gospel. The good news is that you now have life, and if you have life, you're no longer foreigners, you're no longer strangers, you're no longer outsiders, but you are actually a citizen that is being built up in Christ Jesus. That is the good news of the gospel. Do you have that today? Because if you feel like an outsider, there's a good chance you are. And so this morning as... Nathan and Isaac come and just lead us in a few more moments of worship. Our prayer here at Citizens every week and every Sunday, and this is why we pray in expectation, right? Is that many men, women, and children would come to know the Jesus of the Bible and would come to know that Jesus is the only way to life, 
and would come to know the grace and forgiveness and the kindness that he offers. If you need that today, you are in the right place. And just like the Gentiles, we're not looking for you to clean yourself up and change yourself before you come to Jesus. He's saying, come now. Come now as you are. Gentiles, come now. There's so many things that divide us, but there's one major thing that unifies us, and that should be enough. Today we're having a, uh, an opportunity for anyone who doesn't serve here at Citizens to sign up, right? We're calling it a Serve Team Sunday, and after service, there's tables set up in the lobby and outside where you're going to have an opportunity, if you're not serving yet, to sign up, to, to, to join a serve team here at Citizens to brew coffee, to serve in the kids, to, 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 to hold the doors, to greet people in the lobby. And in the same way that this passage talks about, we are inviting you to serve because we need different people to do different things. Like if you're like, I'm not friendly, perfect. We need not friendly people. If you're like, I won't do my job because I just can't stop talking to people, we still need you. There is a place for you, and in the way that we serve here at Citizens, we want to show this is the way of the kingdom, that it takes many different people, many different bodies, many different talents. And so if you are not on a serve team, we can take one more small step towards unity and join a serve team. Welcome the outsider, right? Welcome the foreigner. Welcome the people who are in here, and they're like, man, I have no hope. That's who we hold the door for. That's who we brew the coffee for. That's who we show where to park. We do it all because Jesus is including all of us in this plan of unity. From the cross to the parking lot at Citizens Church, whatever your next step is, take it today because God is calling. So during this time, if you need anything, me and Emily will be on the front row my wife. We are here to pray for you. We are here to assist you in whatever it might be. We want to get you connected. Whatever your next step is here at Citizens Church, I pray that you would take it. Would you pray with me? God, you are good. Jesus, you make dead hearts come alive. God, you don't ask us to clean ourselves up. You don't ask us to change who we are as people. God, you just say, bring your dead heart to me, and I will make it alive. And so, God, I pray this morning for all the dead hearts in the room. I pray for all the people who have not yet taken this step of faith. I pray for those who feel like the outsiders, feel like the foreigners, feel like the exiles. And God, I pray that this morning they would feel like the citizen because you have brought them near. We did nothing to come near. We did nothing to come close. We did nothing to deserve it. You, by your grace, by your peace, by your kindness, has brought us near. And no longer are there two, but there are one being built up in Christ Jesus. And Jesus, we pray. We pray over the spirits in here, the spirit of depression, the spirit of suicide spirit of lust and addiction, we pray against those things that make us outsiders and that say you are an outsider. We pray against those things and we pray that the Holy Spirit would invade this place, would invade the, the, the hearts and spirits of the people. That God, you would bring restoration, that you would bring unity, that you would bring peace where there is none. God, that you would remind your people how much you love them. May we worship you because of that. Jesus, thank you that we're no longer outsiders. We are citizens. And if we are citizens, we belong. We know that you came and you love us so much. In Jesus' name we pray.